great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in just a few minutes, I want to talk about jeweling. If you're not familiar with jeweling and you have kids or nieces or nephews, you need to know and know why it's become a real issue for teenagers and even younger. And later, the disparity between what banks are paying on savings has gotten to absurd levels. I'm going to tell you what you need to know to make sure you're not a sitting duck for your bank taking advantage of you. So I want to share a quick personal story with you and wonder what you would have done. So I'm going with my father-in-law to pick up some food for my wife. We were having a party at our house for my daughter who's getting married, and I was going to pick up some food. And as we're riding along through an area that's very wooded, uh, almost rural in nature near the banks of a river, woman walks by with her dog, turned out to be a Labradoodle, and then about uh, 20 yards behind is a fox that is stalking its prey. It's clear. I mean, just like clear as could be, this fox is coming to eat up this Labradoodle. And so I shout to the woman to tell her, but she had earbuds in her ears, listening to music, didn't hear me at all. So I back up, because I'd gone past her when I saw the fox, and, and got her attention and told her this fox was behind her that at that point had gone right behind some, uh, some vegetation. And she looks at me like, all right, what's your deal, guy? You know, she doesn't say it, but you can see. And I said, ma'am, I'm really worried this fox is going to attack and kill your dog. Can I drive you just a little bit down the road, the direction you're going to get away from it? And she comes and looks in the car, sees my father-in-law, sees me, and can't decide what to do. And then she decides she'd get in the car, and I drive her about half a mile, give her a safe passage away from the fox and she gets out and it's funny because uh, we were talking about it as a crew is do you i mean what a crazy thing for me to tell her how would i come up with that if i was up to no good and at the same time she was very nervous that something really bad was about to happen to her not from some fox but from me i mean i didn't know what what should i have done I mean, I got her out of danger, but Kim of our crew just can't stop laughing. Why are you laughing so much about this? Oh, my gosh. So many reasons, Clark. You are such a good Samaritan, almost to a fault sometimes. We've told other stories about you, like picking up cash in a fast food restaurant parking lot and then bringing it in to the cashier at the fast food restaurant. And well, it wasn't my money. <laughs> It's just, there's always one step so much. Like warning the woman, okay, that makes sense. But asking her to get in your car, I don't know. Well, she had no defense against that fox. I I understand that. And I totally understand your motivation. And I know that it's good. I just know if some random dude that I don't know pulled up to me and said, hey, lady, there's a fox behind you. And then said, why don't you get in my car? I, I might question the motives. 
Well, this also brings up the habits of foxes, and I want to know, would the fox actually you know, leap out there and make such a bold move to go after this dog? I don't know. I don't know. My father-in-law thought it would. He's a real nature kind of guy. Yeah. I love this story. It's fascinating all the way around. So did I, did I cross a line offering the lady a ride? I guess not. I mean, she took the ride. The only problem was it was a muddy day. That Labradoodle left more mud in the back seat of my car than I knew existed. Very cleaned the back once. Now I'm going to have to clean it. I look back today, there's still mud traces all over the back of the car. I'm going to have to clean it again. But anyway, I did what I did. So back to what I was going to talk about today. And it involves the teacher actions around the country. And there's a lot going on in a number of states. If you're not aware, it all started in West Virginia where teachers uh, went out on strike and were able to get more money for the schools and for themselves out of the legislature. And that has led to this happening in other states, Oklahoma, set an ongoing teacher strike, and now Kentucky and Arizona look like they're in play for this. And to give you a little background, 10 years ago, when state tax revenues collapsed during the, the aftermath of the banking scandals, the states cut spending, as they refer to it in legislative circles, not the fat, they cut into the bone. Well, since then, in more than half the states in the country, education funding has not come back to where it was before 2008. And teachers in many states are earning pitiful salaries. And this is such a tough one because most people, most constituents, don't have kids in schools. And so to ask people to pay or require they pay more tax to fund better pay for teachers and better equipment and books and all the rest for schools is a tough sell. And particularly in a lot of states that have uh, populations that have a smaller percent of people who went to went through college there's not as much a priority with a lot of voters on funding schools and so this is an unfolding chapter in american education and one thing teachers are so very important and are so often neglected and how they're paid. And that's just a fact in the United States. You know, I, I'm not in any, I don't live in any of the states that are having actions or may face actions by teachers. And I don't have the answers because each answer will depend on local circumstances. But it is important if we want to reduce turnover with teachers and we want teachers to be able to earn enough of a living so that they don't abandon the teaching profession and go do something else, they have to be paid enough so that what they provide is valued. Again, what enough is, not for me to say. Russ is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Russ. 
Hey, Clark, how are you? Great, thank you, Russ. Now, you heard my story about the fox, did you not? I did. So, did I do the right thing or the wrong thing? I understand why you did what you did, but if it was my wife, she wouldn't have gotten in the car. (laughs) Okay. All right, so next time I will just warn somebody... This is based on a sampling of one, your opinion here. But you think I should have just told her and left it, left her to her own devices. If you'd like to get in, you you can, but it's up to you. Okay. Well, Russ, tell me how I can serve you. Well, I'm in a, a dilemma, Clark. Um, my wife and I have not filed taxes since 2011, federal nor state. And I'm not quite sure how to handle it. I know I've got to get it taken care of. But I keep hearing all these companies on the radio advertising, helping people with this situation. Are these reputable companies? Would you recommend that? And if not, what would you recommend? All right, so I'll tell you how I play this. You never know with any of these people running these heavy rotation ads on the Internet, on TV, and some on radio, telling you that if you have an unpaid debt with the IRS, call us, we're magic, we're going to make this thing go away and all that. The reality is that if you have a situation with failure to file for, um, for seven tax years, six, ta- be six or seven tax years, what you need to do if you want to come forward is you're going to have to pay for hourly time for a CPA who does tax or a tax attorney. And tell me how much approximate income do you and your wife have each year? Uh, it varied during that time period. If you could Anywhere give me a, a general range ballpark, I would say average probably eighty-five to ninety a year. Okay, that is enough that you would want uh, either an enrolled agent, which is not a CPA; it's someone who is licensed to do business with the IRS, registered with the IRS, who understands their workings. They don't charge a huge amount per hour or a CPA who does tax. That may not rise to enough that it would be worth the, it's very expensive to hire a tax attorney. But what you do is you just go meet with one of them and then they become your representative. And they can advise you on how to, go forward with the IRS. Were you paying withholding on the in the years that you made the 85 to 90 or was it all self-employment income? Some of that time we were, some we weren't. Okay. So the years that you were employed by someone and tax was being withheld, you may not have any large tax bill out there anyway. I hope not. And so there's an advantage to coming forward. And it's always better to come forward than to wait for the IRS to find you. Okay. So um, have you ever dealt with an accountant before? Is that something you've ever done? No. No. you have any friends that, are, uh, that own their own businesses? Yes. Contact a friend or two. Just say, hey, I'm looking for a CPA who does tax. Do you have somebody okay. you use like that? And usually a business owner will have someone like that. And then just go okay. meet with them. All right. And, well, and it you, will Lord. feel much less of a burden once you get with a tax professional representing you 
than it feels right now knowing that's hanging over you. Right. And as much of your records over the seven years you can come up with, the better. And Russ, if you don't mind, after you get through this process, if you would call back and share what the experience is like, it could help other people who maybe have let some years go by where they have not filed returns. James joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, James. Uh, hello, Clark. James, you got a question for me about buying gasoline. Yes, I do. Um, my wife, Kristen, and I, who is a huge fan of yours, by the way, um, we were um, trying to think of ways that um, we're, we all have or both have our own individual funds for, you know, whatever we want to spend it on. And we're spending a lot of that on gas. And we're trying to find out a way, um, hopefully we're thinking of something like a credit card that, we could, that could only be spent on gas. My best example is this. Um, like an FSA card, you can only spend on medicine. So something, a, a credit card like that that would function like that, we were So you're worried that if it can be used for other things, you'd be tempted to use it for other things? Yeah, and we're just, um, it would just be cleaner. You know, we're just like, okay, we know that everything that's coming, every dollar that's being put on that card is going straight to fuel and nothing else. All right, so I have a way to do that that isn't like you asked, but I'm going to throw this out first and then give another suggestion. Um, Sam's Club and Costco Wholesale both give big rebates on the purchase of gasoline if you use their credit card. Are you a member of either of the clubs? We go to Costco often. So the Costco uh, membership, you can get a free Citibank Visa card, which you get 4% cash back on gasoline. If you used it only for gas... And that was the only reason you or your wife ever used that Costco Visa card. Mm-hmm. That would be a way to treat it as a single-purpose card. And the reason I like something like that is if you get one from a particular oil company gas station, yes. you're going to pay way too much for gas. Because then you're going to a, a major oil company gas station where the price per gallon is so much higher than at independent discounters and the warehouse clubs. There's that, and plus we've done something like that before, and when you travel, you know, some parts of the country have, have more of one chain than the other, and sometimes it's not that much of a help at all. So that's why I like, because that's a Visa card that Costco has, and again, with your membership, you can just apply for it right at Costco.com or in the store, get that, and then both of you agree with each other, the only time you'll ever use it is for gas. Today's Clark Rageous moment is a special warning for you as a parent, aunt and uncle, whoever it is who has minor children in your family, in your household. I need to warn you about jeweling. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. Jeweling is a fast growing activity in schools all over the country according to time magazine it's become a big issue around america a lot of school districts now specifically banning jeweling and what it is is it's a device that looks like a thumb drive 
So school students, even in middle school, can bring them to school in their pocket, charge the jeweling device in their laptop, the school-issued laptop in the USB of it, and then sneak off between classes or even go into the bathroom at school and jewel. It is a little electronic device that delivers nicotine to kids, well, uh, delivers uh, the equivalent of cigarettes to kids, and it has as much nicotine in it as an entire pack of cigarettes, and the kids feel the buzz of jeweling after just a few puffs. Kids pass them around and all the rest. You need to make sure you have a conversation with your kids about jeweling and let them know this is not something to be played with. Glad you're here on the Clark Howard Show where you learn ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Just weeks ago, I told you that in a rising interest rate environment, it was going to be far more important that you pay attention to where you park your savings. So there's a symbolically important level that has been crossed. Online banks now are are approaching or already paying 2% on simple savings or just a hair below it. And 2% is obviously not a huge amount of interest, but I want to share with you from a survey done by Value Penguin what is being paid at big and regional banks. All the following banks on your savings are paying one one hundredth of one percent, which is essentially zero. Bank of America, Chase, Citibank, Citizens Bank, Fifth Third Bank, HSBC, Key Bank, PNC Bank, Regions Bank, SunTrust Bank, U.S. Bank, and Wells Fargo. Now, that is a list of, I guess it's the top 20 banks in the country, and they're all paying basically 0.0. You compare this to the online banks paying uh, between 1.75 and 2%, and it's not a lot of money, but it's still putting your money to work for you, and if you are not ready to heave your regional or giant monster mega bank off, then at least set up an online savings account and link your account at the giant monster mega bank or regional bank to one of the online banks, and you can move money back and forth. Typically, it takes two days to move money over and to move it back. So any idle cash you have sitting, you want to earn what you can on it and move it over. Now, the 2% is not where things are going to stop. If the Federal Reserve continues with its pattern of raising rates this year, later this year, the best of the online banks in terms best, meaning highest interest rates, will be paying 25 to 2.75%, but the big banks will continue to pay zero or close to it because they have more money on deposit with them 
perhaps than ever. And people are creatures of habit and don't make changes easily when it comes to banking. So the banks take advantage of that and eat up your wallet. So it's your choice. And the online banks, you can set up an account in usually about three minutes. And then you set up the link with your existing account and just move the money at will so that you only have in your regular account what you need to have there. Now, the inquiring minds want to know, why would you bank with a bank that would take advantage of you that way and pay you such a pitiful amount on your money? And it says to me, you should look at going to a credit union or a smaller, more localized bank that's going to give you more of a fair shake on your money. Just my thought. Now, there are uh, many millions of people, perhaps in the tens of millions, who choose not to do business with a traditional bank because you got burned different ways. And PayPal is now looking at offering a variety of banking products to people who do business with PayPal. I saw a Wall Street Journal item about how PayPal has cut deals with small local banks that do what's called white labeling. You don't know what bank is behind the scenes, but they are going to offer um, accounts with FDIC insurance where you can earn decent amounts on your balances on deposit. They're offering a card that you can withdraw money at ATMs fee-free, and they're offering you the ability to direct deposit paychecks into a traditional kind of bank account that they have cobbled together in a most untraditional way. Because let's face it, the big banks don't want you unless you have a lot of money. That's just the way it is. Roy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Roy. Clark, how are you? Roy, you are a planner, aren't you? I'm trying. I'm so impressed that you're calling me about something happening next decade. Yep. Uh, 12 years. I plan on retiring. Um, so How I can you be... be so orderly in life? <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to work forever, but I figured, I figured I'd like to retire at least within the next uh, 12 to 10 years. And uh, because I have a thrift savings plan, I was thinking about right now I kind of went uh, – I went with three funds, kind of 30% on each, on three different funds. I think I did the C, the F, and the G. Um, All right, so um, let I'm me not, first I'm, set some background because most yes. people aren't familiar with how the federal employee thrift savings plan works. And unlike a traditional 401k that has uh, choices that mimic traditional mutual funds or index funds, you have funds available to you that are alphabetically arranged. So share with your fellow listener what that third and third and third is invested in. So I think the G fund is the most conservative. I think it's government uh, funds, if I'm not mistaken. I think the S fund is the S&P 500. It's the stock uh, stocks. And then I'm doing one other. I can't remember which one it is. I think it could be the, um, could be the F fund. It's international. And having money spread out like you are 10 years from retirement, 
makes a, a lot of sense, particularly now having a third of your money international, that's more like how I think most people are afraid to have that much at stake internationally. But, you know, the United States accounts for 20%, 25% of world economic activity. And most that. people in their retirement accounts, whatever flavor they are, put 0% in international investing. So I tip my hat to you and give you a lot of credit for doing that. Now, the uh, G fund that you first mentioned is almost like being in a savings account. It's a very, very conservative yep. portion of your portfolio <clears throat> and reduces the risk from having uh, your money in domestic and international stocks. And so that uh, being 10, 12 years out from retirement, at first glance, sounds like a reasonable allocation, especially because do you have enough years with the federal government that you will have a decent pension when you retire in 10 to 12 years? Correct. So I figure that because I want to wait, I'm, I'm 56, I want to wait at least a minimum of 10, which will give me 27 years in. And that 27 years will get you a pension that will cover roughly two-thirds of your living costs in retirement? Correct. So I like the way you have spread your money out in your TSP. But now I've got a spin for you. Sorry, I'm ready? I, I was thinking that I would go ahead and switch it up and put it in a targeted 2030 fund. I like that uh, a lot because what it means is that you're relying on the professional money managers to allocate and continually uh, reorient as you get closer to your target retirement age. Okay. And because I figure since... You know, but you got to go all in that, on that. All your money goes in that. Exactly. 100%. And it is all in the Roth. So... Um, I did everything. I switched everything into the Roth, and um, and so I was thinking doing 100% into the targeted 2030. And I so like I that, and you're going to be in great financial shape uh, because you start with having the money that's going to come to you from your pension every month. This money that you have in the Thrift Savings Plan is very heavily tilted towards helping you deal with inflation and maybe potential medical costs much later in retirement. Okay. So and I've got so, one. Yes, go ahead. go ahead. I was going to tell you that, um, you know, we had a credit card uh, debt of $6,200. Um, and and I, I, am a, I am a master's, uh, I, I hold my master's degree at uh, uh, the Howard Institution of Higher Learning. Um, so I... Um, I realize that I'm paying 19% interest on it, and because we're doing some um, we're doing some construction at our house, I took a loan out against my TSP at 2.8%. It'll be paid off in three years. It's already deducted out of my paycheck. We've killed the credit card debt, and then we have a, a little bit of extra money to finish the construction of our uh, ever-going project at the house. And I found out that because I'm paying myself back of the funds that I have, uh, what do you call it? It's um, You've reduced how much you have in those funds in order to borrow the money 
to pay off the credit card debt yep. and do the home improvement. Correct. But because I get to pay myself back, I also found out that the interest of 2.8, that goes back into my own account. That is true. Now, normally, the disadvantage of doing what you've done is that you would uh, stand the risk of missing upward movement in the market. But because the market has had such a big run-up over the years, I'm not as worried about that risk. You just got to make sure you don't bring those cards out anymore and charge any more on them than what you can pay each month. Otherwise, you will have tricked your wallet instead of benefiting it by doing what you did with the loan from the TSP. Lori is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Lori. Hi, Clark. Lori, you have a question for me about real estate. Yes, I do. What's up? Um, I'm looking to start a real estate portfolio, just get acquire some um, real estate. So I've, I've lived in my house now for about 20 years. Um, and so the thought I had was to purchase a new home that's going to be my residential home and rent out the current home I have now. Because I know it's a little bit easier to buy a home you're going to live in than to buy real estate that's... Um, investment. What's your thought? So I'm going to stun you. If you've lived in that house you're in 20 years, there's Uh a direct disadvantage into turning that into a rental property. Okay. If it's worth substantially more than what you paid for it 20 years ago. It is. All right. So let me tell you why that is a problem for you. Okay. If you sell that home, you as a you single or married? Married. So you get up to $500,000 exemption from tax on the sale of that home. So everything you make on it, net profit, up to half a million just goes in your pocket. Okay. On the other hand, if you turn it into a rental property, you lose that tax-free exemption. Okay. So if you wanted to buy, I know this sounds weird, uh, do you have a substantial, like, how how big would you categorize that profit? How many dollars, approximately, over 20 um, years? Uh, probably about 250000 Yeah, so with that kind of profit, you would not want to turn convert that into a rental. Okay. So if you wanted to have a rental property and you don't want to live in that house you're in anymore, start by buying the new house you want to buy, uh, sell the one you're in, And then after that, if you want to also go and buy a rental property, do so knowing you're going to have to have a meaningful down payment and you're going to pay probably about a half a point higher in interest rate than you would leaving things as they are. Okay. But because that 250 passes tax-free, that's too much an advantage for you to sacrifice to avoid those additional complications. Okay, so would we be better off then to like sell this house and use the proceeds to buy two houses? If you could, if you if that would work for you, yes, that would be a perfect scenario, and that way you would have the home you're going to live in and the one you're going to rent out. And rental homes, you tend to do better in making money from a rental home when the value of it is below the average cost of a home in a metro area because people who 
there are a lot of people that are involuntary renters that would prefer to own a home and they can't afford to and so they instead are uh, renting one instead of owning one they're your target market you get to a price point that's too high you're competing with the fact that somebody could go buy their own home so the home that you're going to have as a rental should be in maybe not as nice a neighborhood as you live in right now it's time for ask clark that's where you post a question for me at clark.com producer joel asked it Clark, Robert wants to know, I want to stop my subscription to AOL. I'm paying $25.99 a month. Can I still get AOL mail without paying for it? Yes. And there are perhaps maybe a few million people still paying AOL. And AOL mail is free now, but unless you choose to cancel, they just keep billing you. And if you go to AOL and go to their help section... There's a briefing, cancel or change your AOL account, and you just cancel the thing. This is very much like people that for years continued to pay the phone company for rental of a phone in the home that they never even had uh, anymore. And so this is why you need to, if you're being charged by AOL, go change your paid subscription to free. All right, and Merv wants to know, when is the best time of year to buy luggage? I don't know that there's a best time of year to buy luggage, but there are places that are better to look at for luggage than others. Um, I like Tuesday Morning. If you're familiar with that store, they sell a wide variety of luggage geared towards people who tend to travel uh, regularly. And when they're having one of their clearance sales, you can get a real deal. I like TJ Maxx and Marshalls for luggage. And I like ebags.com, E-B-A-G-S.com, when they're having something that is a clearance item. Regular prices, no, but when they've got a, a clearance item that's a real deal, buy it. Now, I travel and have for decades with the Kirkland Signature luggage. That's the private label of Costco, and I carry the Costco carry-on bag that just is a fantastic suitcase and regularly priced $99. They've done two sales, though, of late when it's been $79 for the Kirkland Signature carry-on bag. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that I appreciate so much that you've just tuned into our podcast, that you had faith in the information and advice you get. You want more information from us? One of the best ways to get Clark smart is with our free newsletters, Clark Daily, Clark Deals, and Travel Escape. Sign up now. You'll be able to unsubscribe at any time if you think I'm wasting your time. Go to clark.com newsletters.